Oh, it is truly a privilege. I am honored to be here uh, with you this morning. I was telling Pastor Fisher that I was already feeling the pressure this morning of knowing that my seminary professors would be here in front of me. And then if you're here for Sunday school, he finished Sunday school with this quiz that I mean, I don't know about you, but it was pretty hard. <laughs> and my level of confidence just went way lower with that. But um, no, jokes apart, um, I am truly honored to be here, and I've been looking forward to it. I've been praying that this morning God would truly uh, speak from his word and uh, that would, he would encourage you and, and bless you as we look at his word together. So for this morning, we just read John 17. And we'll get there, but I would like to read one more verse before we start. And that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible with you, um, for this first part of the sermon, I'd like you to turn there to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, uh, verse 18. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The glory that was given to Christ in his exaltation is the highest glory that can be given to a person. It is incomprehensible. Last Sunday, uh, you probably meditated upon the resurrection and the new body, the glorified body of Jesus, and the fact that he was the first fruit of the resurrection that each one of us as Christians look forward to, uh, to our very lives in our reality. But now I would like you to picture, to spend a couple of minutes just thinking of Christ's ascension into heaven. And I want you to think of all the angels and the saints who were in heaven when Christ ascended. And when you picture them, are they happy? Were the saints and the angels in heaven happy? I believe you'd say yes. They were happy. They're in heaven. They they don't have sin in heaven. But what happened when Christ, as the resurrected Lord of glory who has conquered sin and death, comes back to heaven. Here's how John Owen describes it. He says, What they have prayed for, what they have hoped for, longed for, and desired to see in the days of their flesh while on earth, and waited for so long in heaven. Some of these saints were there for thousands of years. Think of Abraham, Noah, Adam. And they were waiting to see this moment. When the king of glory makes his entrance into heaven. That was the greatest moment since the resurrection of glory that was ever created or ever will be created in a moment. The saints and the angels and the Father and the Spirit all had a degree and at a degree of of, of joy when the Savior finally returns after having accomplished his job and conquered the devil, and now he's ready to reign power forever. But 
we don't see Christ that way yet. We, we, we can picture those things, but we can't quite see that glory that the saints in heaven got to see that moment. We have to wait to see him, our Lord Christ, in his glory. And that's why Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, says that in this life, now we live by faith and not by sight. See, while you're seated here in Tacoma, you're in your pew and, and listening to the sermon, you are away from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't see him. You can't see this glory that we're describing. All you can do is believe and have faith according to what the word of God gives to you. Now, there are only two ways, and this is an important principle that Paul is bringing to us in 2 Corinthians 5. There are only two ways one can behold the glory of God. And both of these ways are only through the word, uh, through the person of Jesus Christ. There are no more than two ways. It's either by faith or by sight. Now, and this is a very important principle as well. No one will ever see the glory of Christ by sight who does not behold his glory in this life by faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, and we do not see Christ, but we live by faith in Christ. Grace prepares for glory, and faith prepares for sight. So, if you would go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, it says, it starts saying, And we all, and it's speaking of Christians, with unveiled face, what is this unveiled face? If you go back and spend some time looking at the context of these verses, um, the description of this veil in our hearts, looking back to the Old Testament, the veil that Moses uh, put on his face so that people wouldn't see that glory that was too shiny for, for them in the Old Testament. All unbelievers, as, not, as, as, as sinful people that we are, we have this veil in our hearts and we can't appreciate, we can't naturally see the glory of God in Christ. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, when you're regenerated, God comes and the Spirit takes this veil away. And that's why now, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. This is not something for the future. This is not something that will happen once you get to heaven. But this is right now. Now, beholding the glory of the Lord through faith. And what happens when we behold the glory of the Lord? It says that we're transformed into the same Image. God is conforming us to the same image of his son, and that happens by through beholding his glory. And we're transformed, the text says, from one degree of glory to another. See, as you grow in holiness, as you grow in righteousness in your life, Paul also describes the, the outside man is wasting away. We're getting older, and, and, and things are getting maybe worse that way. We see the decay and the consequence of sin. In our lives, but the inward man is being renewed day by day as you meditate upon the Word of God. So, if I were to ask you, what is one of the biggest, if not the greatest, privilege you have in this life? The Bible in James describes that God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts, and there are so many good things in this life. We can go out and we can enjoy a beautiful sight. And we can enjoy nature and, and good food and even relationships. So many things that God has designed for our joy in the very beginning. And of course, they have been corrupted by sin, 
but we still can enjoy those things. And, and Scripture is always teaching us how to go back to those very things and, and learn how to use them properly and enjoy them for the glory of God. But better than all of this, what is, Christian, your greatest privilege? It is, in this life, to behold the glory of Christ through faith. When you worship him, when you pray, when you read his word, as you meditate upon the person of Christ, as the truth of Christ enters into your soul, that is your greatest privilege in this life. But there is more than that. The Bible also affirms that there will be sight. Isaiah tells in chapter 33, verse 17, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. And I know some of you may be asking, but uh, isn't Isaiah the same one who says in chapter 53, he says there's no beauty that we should be attracted to him. He is the one whom man hide their faces. When you look at the Gospels, the suffering servant, uh, the whole life of Christ on earth, it doesn't sound like, like the king in his beauty. Well, because that's talking about Christ in his state of humiliation. But He's risen, we celebrated that last Sunday, he's risen, he's glorious, and Psalm 45 teaches us that he is the most handsome of the sons of man. He's the perfect image of God. He's the radiance of the image of God, his perfect imprint. And in heaven, we won't be able to take our eyes away from Christ. His glory will fill the heavens, and we'll be there to appreciate that for all eternity. And... I think that helps us understand even the nature of heaven. If you think about it, heaven is forever. We'll be with Christ for all eternity in heaven. And so, why won't you sin in heaven? Would you like to go to heaven? Uh, imagine that maybe after a long time you'd start looking at all the creation, all the wonderful things that we expect to see in heaven, the new earth. And you'd start putting your eyes and trust those things as we do in this life. And that would be a terrifying thought to have. Imagine that reality when you are closer to the immediate presence of God. Even in this life, when do you sin? Is when you take your eyes off Christ. Think of Peter when he was walking on water. Peter was there and he was walking, he was standing, and then he takes his eyes away from Christ and look at the circumstances. And that's when... His sins. When, um, when, the, when you start to sometimes picture your life in a different way, those moments where you, start, you stop for a second to trust in the wisdom and the power of God and his providence to your life, and you start fantasizing and maybe picturing how if for one second you could have the power of God and change that one thing that you like to change in your life, take that thing that's bothering away, or maybe bring what you need to your life. If you could change this person's heart. If you could change that part of your job that you don't like. And, and for that moment, they would start picturing those things. And we're coveting and lusting after things instead of looking to God. Are we focus, focusing on Christ at that time? A man who is sitting in front of a computer and he starts looking at pornography. Is he looking at Christ? No. He has taken his eyes off Christ and has believed in a lie from hell. And that's what he's doing. He's going after that lie. And we do that time after time as sinners. But one day, we'll not be able to, we'll not be tempted anymore to take our eyes uh, away from Christ. In heaven, 
uh, and we, when we behold his glory, a glory that's a thousand times beyond what we can conceive in this life, we won't be able to take our eyes off him anymore. And the chief end of every Christian, the greatest desire, the highest we can attain, is to behold the person of Jesus Christ with our very eyes. That's what we look forward to. To see him, to love him, to praise him, to be face by face with him, and to worship him in a way that we uh, have not been able to do in this life. Now, I'll ask you, a, and it's a tricky question. Um, I don't know if it's as tricky or as Pastor Fisher's uh, quizzes after Sunday school, but let's say the last Sunday when he probably announced that I was coming here to preach, what if he had given you an option, uh, a choice? He had said, okay, next Sunday, uh, you can pick. You can either have Steve, this Brazilian intern from Providence, or you can have Christ himself to come down and preach to you next Sunday in all the glory that we're describing. I know it's a tricky question, and I hope you did not say Christ. And that's not because I have that much confidence in myself. <laughs> but the reason for that is because if Christ were to come down in his majesty right now, the great theologian uh, John Owen says again, we're not able, even as Christians, to bear the immediate appearance of Christ in his glory. It would be too high, too illustrious, and too marvelous for us. We will not be able to uh, behold him because we have sin. We're sinners, and even though we love him, we're not ready. This human nature is not ready to bear the glory of Christ. Uh, think of Isaiah in chapter 6. Uh, it says that the train of the robe of Christ, just the train of his robe, filled the temple with glory. When Isaiah sees that, his, his reaction is not, wow, this is so wonderful. Let me get closer to it. Lord, I'm so thankful that you brought me closer to your throne and I can see your holiness. But he says, I am undone. He says, woe is me, cursed is me because I'm, fa- I'm facing a holy God. The one that the seraphim is praising, holy, holy, holy is his name. I am here and I'm a man of impure lips in the midst of an impure people. If anyone at that time could, could be pick to represent the people before God would be the prophet Isaiah. And yet, even that, even that man was ashamed and, and, and worried and, and, and saying, I am undone, I am cursed, because I cannot withstand the glory of God. He could not even handle the train of the robe of Christ. What about Paul? In Acts 9, He's on his way to Damascus. He's persecuting the church out of zeal because according to his understanding of the Old Testament, Christians were giving a false witness of what had happened to Christ. Christ appears to him in his glory, and what happens? Oh, good thing that you came down to, to show me all these things because these Christians are doing all these crazy things, and, and I need some clarifications. So good to, to finally meet you in person. No, that's not his reaction at all. He's bl- terrified. He's blinded. And, and all the people around him are terrified, and they can't understand what's going on. And that's what happens every time you see someone in Scripture who is on earth who uh, comes to see some of the glory of the risen Christ. If Christ were to appear uh, here right now, we would not be able to withstand 
his glory. Because the glory of Christ is too much for a sinful man. And that is why Paul says that now we have to live by faith. We're not ready yet to live by sight. We look forward to it, but we still need to be changed for that and and prepared for that. Um, Think of Peter in the mouth of transfiguration. He goes out of his mind. Think of um, John in, in Revelation. He falls down and he can't withstand the glory of Christ. But uh, one day in heaven we'll be able to uh, be renewed and, and be delivered from sin and now finally able to uh, appreciate the glory of Christ. I've been here in the U.S. for, for five years and uh, I had the opportunity to be part of, to uh, go to a couple of different weddings and something that always impresses me in the weddings that, that I'm always surprised to see and, and it's, 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 it's a pleasure to see that is how you have this wedding and, and you can picture even this church with all the decorations and everyone is bringing their best they're dressed up and you have different lights different shiny things all around and there's so much that could catch your eyes so, so many different things that could catch your attention and yet the groom is up there in the front and when the door opens and, and, and he sees his bride and the bride starts coming toward him, it's always amazing to look at the groom and see how there's nothing else he cares about. Everything else is nice and, and he could look at those things, but his bride is just all he can think about and all he can see and he can't take his eyes off his bride as she comes toward him. And how much more when it comes to our Savior? How much more when it comes to the glory of the risen Son of God. So in John, First uh, John chapter 3, uh, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, so we are God's children, and what we will, uh, what we are God's children now, and what, we'll, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You see, you're God's children now, but there is something yet for the future. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. And why will we be like him? John, give us the answer. Listen carefully. Because we shall see him as he is. Why will you be transformed at the time of Christ's coming? Because when you see him, the sight of Christ will transform you into a glorious image like his. So just to summarize uh, what we've talked about so far. So how do we become like Christ in this life? By beholding Christ by faith. But... We will be changed into his likeness in the life to come by beholding him by sight. And I promise, this is my last quote from John Owen. Um, He also says, If I have observed anything by experience, it is this, that a man or a woman may look at at their growth or their decline in grace. So um, 
I'm sure um, if you have walked with Christ for a while, for, for a certain time, you, you can experience this. You can empathize to this idea that um, a man or a woman may look at their growth, so either growth or decline in grace, according to his meditations upon Christ and the glories of his kingdom and his love. You meditate upon Christ, you grow in grace. That's what we call the means of grace uh, in our confession and in the language you usually use in theology. You forget Christ, you decay in grace. We, mediate, we, we meditate upon the truth, the truth of Christ and his word. But now I want you to bring a second reality. This is something very common in scripture. We have our side of the equation here where we are called and we are as Christians called to meditate upon Christ, to think about him, to desire to be with him. But now it's the best part that even when we are unfaithful and even when we don't do the things we should be doing, there's a greater reality to this, which is not that we are to meditate upon him, but he, your Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when we come to John 17. He meditates upon you. He thinks about you. He wants to be with you. And so we should think about him. Uh, so we come to John 17, his high priestly prayer. Uh, verse 24 says, and, and I want you to listen carefully. This is the key verse for this last section uh, of our sermon. Father, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. How do you deal with the death of a loved one who died in Christ? When a Christian dies, did that Christian die because of an accident? Did that Christian die because of disease? Did that Christian die because of cancer? And yeah, all those are reasons for, for death. But the Bible affirms that there's something even more fundamental to the reason why Christians die. And the reason for that is because Christ's prayer has been answered. Christ has, has looked to someone. And, and in John 13, the very beginning of the whole section of the end of the book of John, the, 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 in the upper room, it says that Christ, that Jesus loved us. He loved his disciples to the very end, to the utter, to, to, to the longest extent of love can be. And in that love that he has for us, he prays for us, and he has looked to a saint on earth who is in a fallen world, and he's going through all the trials that we go through in this life. And he has loved them and thought, it's, it's enough for them. They, they went through what they had to go through, and now, Father, I pray that you would bring them to me so that they could finally behold my glory, that they could be with me. Because I want to be with them. That's the reality of a Christian who dies. And it's, it's natural to, to miss someone who is gone. And I think that a good prayer and something that the Holy Spirit naturally works in our hearts is that in the very beginning when you lose someone, there is something about missing that person and you, want, you wish that person could be here. And you wish that that person... Uh, could be by your side, that you could serve them, that you could uh, 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 
enjoy something with them. And, and, and as natural as that can be, we know that the Bible is clear. No one will come back from the dead. Uh, once you go to Sheol, you're in Sheol. But as Christians, we have a greater reality than that. Maybe I can't have them come back to me. But one thing I'm sure, that one day I'm coming to them. I'm coming to where they are. And they are happier than they've ever been. And I love this person, and I'm so happy that they are where they are now. And now, and now I can live my life looking forward to being with Christ and to being with that very person who I love. And I can look forward to that every single day. So that the reality of the Christian life is, doesn't matter how was your day yesterday, doesn't matter how your day is today, but tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, one thing you're sure, that tomorrow will be a better day than today which was a better day than yesterday because you're one day closer to seeing Christ and to seeing that person. And there's nothing that can stop that. Every single day you're closer to Christ and you're closer to the realities of heaven. And that's where you're facing every single day as you think of the glory of Christ. And I think that God in his perfect providence and perfect design has made us, the reality just works all in a perfect way where the more we get older, the more we miss people whom we love, and, and they're gone. And I think that that should always encourage us to be looking forward to being with them. And, and the more we walk with Christ, the more joy we have in just hoping for that moment as we can be back with our loved ones. Now, um, I would like to close with one last illustration. This is a pretty well-known illustration I have. I heard a couple of different pastors use uh, for even different sermons. Um, but I think it's appropriate for this morning. It's the story of a very wealthy man, a very rich man who loved to collect paintings. And he had very famous paintings, very expensive paintings, Rembrandt, Picasso, Van Gogh. And he had one son, and his son joined the military and had to go to war. And the son, knowing that his father loved painting so much, decided to paint a portrait of himself and to leave with his friends um, of the army. And, and he said, you know, if anything ever happens to me, please bring this to my father. And he goes to war. A couple years go by. And one day, the father's at home, and the bell rings. He comes to the door. He opens the door. And two representatives of the army are there, and they're holding a painting. And they give the painting to the father. The father learns that his son uh, has been killed in battle. And he takes this painting. He goes to his main hall in this big mansion, and... This room has all his best paintings all around. But in the, center, in the center wall, in the very middle of everything, he goes up and he hangs the picture of his son right there in the middle. So that visitors and, and, and anyone, friends who come to visit, they would look and appreciate all these different paintings. And they would look at the son in the very center and, you know, not of the same quality, not of the same value. But there is no doubt in anyone's mind that that was the father's favorite painting. It was just in a position where no one could deny uh, how much that father loved that painting. A couple more years and the father dies. 
The father died, and uh, there was nobody to whom he could leave his paintings. So they had an auction. And people could buy these paintings in this auction. So people from all around the world, they come to, to get these paintings, and they're really excited. Museum representatives, uh, wealthy uh, people, uh, people who love uh, art, they come and, and they want all these different paintings of, of high value. And, but something interesting happened. In the very beginning of the auction, the auctioneer starts and he says, how much for the picture of the sun? That's the very first one. And they were there, just like you, just seated and quiet, and no one moving their hands or anything. And the auctioneer asks, how much for the sun? And then the gardener, the, this man in the very back who had worked and lived at that house for, for a long time, he knew the father, he had a relationship, he knew how much the father loved his son and, and that painting, and he could never imagine that he could afford maybe the other paintings, but if no one wants that picture, he really wants the son. He, he understands, has a, a value to that, son, to that picture, knowing how much uh, his, his, his uh, friend, uh, who was his boss for so long, appreciated that, that painting. So he says, I'll take the son. And what happened after that? The auction was closed. There was a stipulation. Whoever takes the son gets everything. And I'm, I'm sure you can see something in this story. You, you probably see where I'm going. Jesus Christ is before you. And Jesus Christ is before the whole world. We preach the gospel. We announce the good news. We announce that he's risen from the dead. But they cannot see his glory. They want all the blessings. They want all the good things that God created. They want to enjoy. They want their families to be perfect. They want their job to be perfect. They want to be successful. They want to enjoy um, life in all the different ways that God has created in his perfect design. But they do not want the son. They do not love his church. But to a person who takes the son, everything else is given. In Christ, you have everything. And it is the eyes of faith that can see his beauty. So that one day, the eyes of sight will behold the king in his beauty face to face. And only those who live by faith in this life will have the privilege and the right to live by sight in the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who do we have in heaven but you? Nothing can compare to you. When our hearts and our flesh fail, you are the strength of our life. You are our portion forever. You are our cup of blessing in the world and our inheritance in the world to come. An inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us. Lord, unveil our hearts to behold your glory as we meditate on the beauty of your Son. And as we eagerly await for the day when our faith will turn to sight. Father, as we go on our different ways in this world, a world that is blind to, to the beauty of your Son, may we rest assured that we find ourselves in him and that we are possessed by him and his love. Our Lord our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.